before we get into the word, would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we, uh, as we enter into this time of hearing your word, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us. Father, that, that the message that you have today would be the message that I speak. Father, that this isn't of me. And that, God, we would be sensitive to the presence, your presence that's lingering here today. God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and that we would hear what you have to say to us today. In your name, amen. All right. Who enjoys a good bonfire? Yeah, yeah. Nobody, I mean shouldn't say nobody. Most people don't not like a bonfire. All the double negatives there. So have you ever paid attention to how these great big fires burn? When you, when you have a bonfire, and the reason that this is in my head right now is because we had a great big fire at the Hoovers the other night. So on the outside is the, the fringe of everything that didn't really burn that you have to shovel into it afterwards just to make sure that it burns down. And as you kind of get around the edge of the actual fire, there's some, there's some coals and whatnot, but it's not like burning, burning. And as you move further and further in, it's getting hotter. And right in the center is where you've actually got the mountain of flame. Everything on the outside burns down quick, and the focus becomes that center of that bonfire pit right in the middle. And there's, it's hot, there's tons of coals. It's like a laser focus in that area. So the first two chapters of Amos kind of resemble bonfire, actually. And you're probably thinking, are you crazy? But I'll explain that here, because we, haven't, we didn't read through all of chapter one to, uh, to see this. But Amos is admonishing the nations of the world throughout uh, the, the first chapter. He's, he's talking about the things that other nations have done wrong. And if you look at a map, all those nations, if you draw a circle, there's a bunch of nations on the outside, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, and, and uh, uh, Moab. They're all kind of in this ring around the outside. And then you get in a little bit further, and you've got Judah even right in there. And Judah, uh, as much as we could get into the history of Israel, Judah was part of Israel that was separated. That's a whole other thing. But Judah was one of the, the nations of God. And then this circle, kind of as, as he's talking, because he, he does it in that order, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, he does that in that order, he's working his way around until he lands on Israel, right in the middle, right in the crosshairs of this target that he's created. So he works his way inward towards that. He's telling them, hey, you guys are doing things wrong. You guys are doing things wrong. Oh, but Israel, here's what you're doing wrong. It's like a bonfire, this middle spot, it's where the most of the heat is and the flame and and really, like, the, the focus, it's right there. So we'll talk about Israel in a second. But first, I want to talk about Judah. 
each nation is given a list of their transgressions. Like here, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's why judgment is going to come. They're relatively short. They're just a little chunk each. And Judah's included in that. So even though Judah and Israel have split, Judah's, Judah's still a focus, but they're not the main focus. So they're a separate nation. We see in verse 4, so this is, this is the, the, the country where Jerusalem's at. Keep that in mind. Verse 4, when we look at verse 4, I lost verse 4. It's in here somewhere, right there. Verse 4, I won't revoke the punishment. They've rejected the law of the Lord. They haven't kept his statutes. And their lies have led them astray. They're no longer following God. They've rejected his law and they refuse to keep his commands. They're starting to follow the people around them. And this is pretty common throughout the history of Israel, right? I mean, it's kind of the story of just about everything through the Old Testament. They get it right, and then they don't get it so right. Then they get it right, and then they start doing something else wrong. So they're going to receive judgment too. They're not excluded from judgment. They are receiving judgment too. They'll send, uh, uh, God's going to send fire upon Judah. It's going to devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. And this is pointing towards the coming exile. The exile that's to come with, uh, I had fun spelling this one three times over, Nebuchadnezzar. I can say that one all right, but the spelling is tough. Nebuchadnezzar. That punishment comes later on. Nebuchadnezzar is their punishment because they refuse to follow God. So just a real quick blurb. Just wanted to highlight that Judah isn't excluded from this. But Amos turns to Israel and really focuses on them. That's the end of the list of nations. Right at the center, in those crosshairs, central focus, where the fire is burning the hottest. But notice here that even though that we've only read up to verse 8, the focus only went up to verse 8, the rest of that chapter and everything after is about Israel. So I think these other nations are probably feeling pretty good when they, uh, when they hear this versus Israel. Because Israel, the list of transgressions is about three times as long as any of the others. Amos said way more about Israel than anybody else. And it's way more intense than any of the others. These are God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. And they've ticked him off enough that they get this great big laundry list, this scorn from him, saying, what are you doing? What have you become? 
ultimately, God uh, goes into a lot more detail uh, and really lays into them. But today, we're not looking at that. Um, we're just looking at the charges. Uh, and I, I think Pastor Nick will be talking about some of the other stuff next week. So there's, there's really three things that uh, God points out through Amos here. And the first thing he addresses is mistreatment of the poor. The first thing that Amos calls out is injustice among his people, among God's people. So if we look at that in verse 6 and 7, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. What's interesting here, though, is that he doesn't start with the idolatry. Usually that's like the, the thing that he goes to first. But he's pointing out the injustice among the people. Those who were in need weren't treated very well at this point in Israel's history. They were ignored, uh, ignored by the people who were doing well. The wealthy would just turn their heads, walk the other way. They were, they were sold into debt slavery. So if you owed somebody money and you couldn't repay it, they would turn around and sell you to their neighbor to recoup that money. Can you imagine the bank doing that to you today? They were denied legal representation. So if the, even if they had a legitimate claim and things were actually good, the, the wealthy could just argue against that and say, no, 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 you didn't repay your debt. And there was no legal representation for them. They were treated like garbage. Ultimately, greed ruled the day. People who had nothing, whether due to poor decisions or because that's the life that they were born into, they were looked down upon. They were often treated as a, a resource, a commodity to be used when they weren't ignored. But here we see God coming in and he's saying, uh, no, guys, this isn't okay. This is wrong. This is the first thing that he addresses here. Don't ignore these people. Don't treat them as a resource. So then he moves into a conversation about immorality. Which was very common in <laughs> throughout Israel's history, right? We see it happen a lot. Verse 7, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. So specifically here, he's pointing out the sexual immorality of Israel. And that's, like I said, that's not anything new. It's something that comes up over and over again. So really, he's at, he's at the breaking point. I can't fix you guys. You just won't learn. 
and and so being not not being a new charge against I Israel, um, this is a recognition of a fact, of the fact that uh, it's something that they're clinging to. It's always between them and God, and Paul even addresses this topic later on in First Corinthians five. Pretty much the exact same words that were used in Amos here. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Even here Paul is acknowledging the severity of this and he's calling uh, for the removal of those people who are acting like this. There's an acknowledgement that, yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't all right. Even in Jesus' day, it was still, that kind of stuff was still going on in the world. Something that still needed to be corrected. Now, of course, in Amos, uh, this is the example given, but Sexual immorality in general, there, there was all kinds of it happening throughout the generations of God's people right from the get-go. And again, here we see God saying, you still haven't learned. And when we move on, we see that there was a, a corrupting of the worship of God. Verse 8 says, They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So there's kind of a, a, double, a double charge here. There's the corruption of the worship, which we'll get into, but this also loops back to that injustice. And we're hitting that idolatry issue now. Can't really be surprised, because that seems to be Another recurring theme in Israel. So the injustice, those garments that it's talking about, the garments taken in pledge, that would be collateral. So if you lent something to your neighbor, you would take his cloak as collateral. That would be one of the things. So what they're, they're, what he's saying here is guys are greedy. You're taking all of this collateral. You're taking these cloaks. You're not returning them. Instead, what you're doing is you're laying them down by altars where you're having feasts and different things. You're drinking the wine from the people that you've taken it from as payment because they can't afford to repay their debt to you. You're having these feasts, and to be comfy, you're sitting on the garments of the people that you're keeping oppressed in debt. Greed is becoming an idol to these people. They're worshiping things and money instead of God. And they're doing this in places of worship. So it's profaning worship. We started collecting collateral and whatnot on debts and bringing it in here to uh, 
set up our chairs and stuff around these tables, I really think that there might be a, a problem. People would take issue with that if these chairs were based on money that we collected from poor people that couldn't repay us, right? That would be a problem. God would look down on that heavily. So it's become more important than following God's commands. And again, this is a constant issue with Israel. Right as soon as they come out of Egypt, they're already worshiping the golden calf. And it happens repeatedly over and over again. It's much easier to take part in worship of something that makes us feel good, though, right? It's easy to slip into those things without even realizing it. Today, it might not look the same, but when we devote our time to chasing things other than God, that's idolatry. When we're doing things for money, comfort, security, for our egos, that's all idolatry. If we don't honor God above everything else. There's a lot of ways that idolatry can uh, creep in, and it can follow us into our lives of worship. If I was coming up here doing this, because it made me look good, which I really don't think that it does. People, uh, I'm sure, laugh at me more than anything, and that's okay. If, I, if that was the driver for me, this would be really bad. And again here, so God's saying, this needs to change. This has gone on long enough. What it boils down to is judgment from God. And that's something that, like I said, I think they're going to be, uh, Pastor Nick's going to be looking at in coming weeks here. But God reminds them that he is God. Israel doesn't get to determine its own path. Well, I mean, they do. They get to determine their own path. But they're definitely choosing the wrong path and it's not going to turn out the way that they think it's going to but what does this have to do with us today though because a lot of times we can read these these passages from the prophets especially the minor prophets and we can be looking at it and we're like well this is just history this is what happened to Israel this has no bearing on my life is that true though so what does this actually mean for me today? In this passage, I see a pretty harsh judgment on Israel. They're being charged with a few things. And I think that it's important that we look at these things and we understand that they're all things that we can still easily be guilty of today. These aren't things, issues of the past. Like I said, Paul was still dealing with it. It wasn't gone just because Jesus came. So we can still fall into this. But God's not pleased with Israel here, so is he going to be pleased with us if we're following in those footsteps? 
So we need to look inward today. We need to look at these things. And not just the things that are listed here, but especially these things, because clearly these things really ticked God off. Are we caring for those who are in need? Or are we turning them aside? And how often do we look at people in need and say, they aren't worth our time? Do we look at them through God's eyes, or do we look at them through our human eyes? And what about sexual sin? It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But especially these days, it's so easy to secretly be stuck in something of that nature. Is that something that we're willfully participating in? How about uh, your life of worship? What idols are you carrying with you? Money, happiness, ego, you know, just trying to enhance your public image. Sometimes we think that we're doing things to glorify God, but if we actually sit back and look at it, we're like, hmm, no, that's not of God. If we really look inward, are there things that we're putting before God? God's calling to us today. Through this passage, God is calling to us, and he's saying, hey, there's things that need to be set right. Judgment is coming. You will be judged. Get your house in order. He's reaching out and he's letting us know that there are lines. Judgment is real. So is forgiveness. Yes, we can be forgiven for these things, but judgment is still real. Doesn't mean we just get to sit and wallow in it. God calls us to repent. He calls us out of these things that pull us away from him. Because that's not where he wants us. That's not the direction he wants us to walk in. We can walk whatever way we want. But it might not turn out the way that we expect it to. So I'd like to, I'd like to, um, hmm. Can I have the worship team come back? I wasn't planning this. What I'd like to do, um, God's calling us to repentance. There's a lot of things that we struggle with secretly in life. There's a lot of things that are out in the open, too. Um, and we're well aware of that. We see the way people live their lives. In fact, I was just talking to Greg this morning, and uh, he was telling me about uh, a, a friend of his, a neighbor, 
who um, she's not a, a Christian necessarily, but she's hurting, she's lost, she's asking questions. And there are people within our midst who have been involved in touching her life. What we do in the public eye affects people whether or not we think that it does. The way that we treat people, the way that we show love to people who are hurting, that's important. So when we live out our lives and we're living a life of sin very openly, just because we're not at church on a Sunday, that reflects poorly, very poorly on the church in general. But when we love people unconditionally without trying to do it to pump us up, puff out our chests, and people recognize that, that that's coming from a place of love, the love that we experience through our salvation in Christ, it makes a difference for the kingdom. So are we doing things just to make ourselves look good? Do we have idols that need to be laid down? So today, um, what I'd like to do is invite anybody who needs to come to the front. If you want prayer, we can do that. But what, I, what I'm thinking here, because I'm spitballing this at the moment, I want you to come to the front. If you've got something that you need to lay down, whether it's a secret sin, whether it's an idolatry issue, or it's just the way that you're thinking about it now and you're not treating people the way that you need to. I invite you to the front. We don't necessarily need to go around praying for everybody, but I want you to come to the front today just to lay it down. So I invite you right now. I'm just going to pray. And I invite you to come up um, while the worship team plays here. Um, yeah. So, Father, this morning, God, we want to come before you and we want to repent hmm, of the things that are, are coming between us and you. Father, the things that we're only maybe now just realizing exist in our life, as we look inward, that you're calling things out. Father, I just pray that you'd speak to each one here and you'd let them know what's standing between you and them. And God, I pray that there would be a boldness today, the courage to come forward, Father, and lay that at the altar. God, that we'd be able to lay it down and eliminate what's getting between us. So, Father, as the worship team plays, touch hearts. Give boldness to come and confess what's holding us back. Father, we ask for this in your name this morning. Amen.